You know, I can remember the first time that I felt adult sad. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to be an adult to feel this way. But, you know, most of my life was pretty okay. You know, my mom, dad did a good job raising me. I had some ups and downs as a teenager. But the first time I felt adult sad, I was in my 20s. Actually, my late 20s. And I was in the middle of a job transition. You know, I had recently been hurt by friends and colleagues. Um, it was the people that I had a close relationship with. And it was the first time that I actually felt really rejected in my life. You know, I had, again, you, you have kind of problems. You like girls, they don't like you. You have friends that kind of let you down. But these were people that I really was close to. And they rejected me. They, they didn't want to have anything to do with me. You know, I felt helpless. I mean, there was nothing I could do to change my circumstances. I felt deflated. You know, this was the first time I'd experienced significant rejection in my life. And I felt hopeless and that there was really no way forward for me. You know, I was desperate. I cried out to the Lord to open doors for me and for my family. And after a prolonged experience of pain, he did just that. He did open doors. But you know what? It didn't take away the pain. It kind of just covered it over. And it still kind of comes up from time to time. I've experienced a measure of healing since that time, but I'm still susceptible to the sadness that was initiated in that season of my life. And I'm sure that many of you today know what I'm talking about. You've had some difficult experiences that continue to come up from time to time in your heart, in your mind. Today we're going to talk about a delicate subject that touches us all. We're going to talk about the thing that happens when intense feelings of sadness last for days, for weeks, until we're unable to function normally. Sometimes it's brought on by trauma. Other times, feelings of disappointment. You know, this just didn't go the way that I had hoped. Maybe stagnation or even boredom can bring this on. It can be a trigger. Regardless of what brings it on, our story today shows that our Heavenly Father is a very experienced physician when it comes to dealing with the human heart. In fact, He can be very tender and patient when He is helping us to get back on our feet. And I don't know where this hits you today. Maybe it will sound a bit foreign to you. Maybe things have always kind of been above board for you in your life. But I suspect for most of us that's not always been the case. Maybe it will sound like a familiar song you've heard before. Or maybe it will speak to where you are right now as you're trying to tell yourself and put on your strong face to convince yourself and others that everything's okay. In the story of Elijah, we're going to see how he went from the heights of victory to the depths of depression overnight. And so deep was his depressed state that he didn't want to go on living. And we'll see how God skillfully renewed his strength and gave him a new sense of purpose. And, you know, just to be honest, I don't intend to try to give easy answers. I mean, this is a complicated subject. And it's something that, that many, many people are struggling with, even to, to, at this very moment. But I hope that the principles that emerge might encourage you that our God is not in the business. Hear this. God is not in the business of giving up on people who want to give up. And we all get to that place. We just want to give up. We want to throw in the towel. But God is not in the business of giving up on people who want to give up. Amen. And we'll see that in this story. 
today. The first point today is that depression hits when we least expect it. We're kind of going along, things are going okay, and then bam, we're right in the middle of it. 1 Kings 18, verses 36 through 39, we see an example of this. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. So what had happened was Elijah had a very tense relationship with the king of Israel at the time, Ahab. They were always having, you know, friction. And also Jezebel, you know, about the, the, the baddest woman in the Bible was also in the mix. That was Ahab's wife. She was not a godly lady at all. In fact, one time, Elijah's coming up, and Ahab says, Oh, there you are, you troubler of Israel. You know, you troublemaker. They had a really tenuous relationship, but Elijah kind of gets fed up with this dance. And he says, All right, let's, let's settle this once and for all. There's going to be a showdown on Mount Carmel, and it's going to be God versus Baal, which was their pagan god at the time. And if you're familiar with the story, he said, Let's set up a, a sacrifice. Put it on the altar. And then call out to Baal and let's see if he burns up the sacrifice with fire. And so they spend hours praying to Baal, crying out to him. And Elijah actually mocks him a little bit. He says, maybe he's asleep. Call louder. Maybe he's going to the restroom. And he's otherwise engaged. And then eventually they give up. They're discouraged. They even cut themselves with swords to try to get Baal to pay attention. And then Elijah says, start pouring water on the altar. Dump bucket after bucket, jar after jar, completely douse and drench the altar. And then he cries out to God. And this is his prayer. Prove that I have done this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God. And that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench that they had dug around the altar. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. So here's the culmination of Elijah's ministry. For years he has labored. He wants people to know that the Lord is God. And they can cry out to Him. They can trust Him. They can make Him their priority. This is his moment of victory. He seizes the opportunity and has the prophets of Baal taken care of, done away with. But the response is not what he had hoped for. Jezebel gets very angry and incensed. And she declares, she swears an oath that by the end of the day, Elijah's going to be just like those prophets. She's going to kill him. And so you, you can see that Elijah, he's disappointed. You know, he has worked so hard to get to this point. God has won a decisive victory. But instead of the conquering hero, he becomes the pursued fugitive. And he's discouraged. He was on top of the world. God had been vindicated. Surely now Ahab and Jezebel would repent and accept God's leadership over Israel. But it was not to be. So Elijah, despairing, he's afraid. He flees for his life. 1 Kings 19, 3 and 4 says, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to the town of Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went alone into the wilderness. And this is what we do, isn't it, when we're discouraged? We just want to be alone. He goes by himself into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. The second point is that depression. It 
robs us of our will. Robs us of our will. So Elijah, the conquering hero, just the next day, flees into the wilderness. He sits by himself. He's discouraged. He's, he feels like a failure. What's all this been for? All this labor, all this effort, all these prayers. It's all been for nothing. And it would be better off if I were dead. You know, sometimes when I'm down and Grace, Gracie asks me what's wrong, I honestly say, I don't know. You ever been there? Somebody says, what, what's wrong? What, what's bothering you? What, what's making you upset? And you just say, I don't really know. And for those of us who struggle time to time, or maybe much of the time with depression, we can't always identify why we're down. You know, sometimes we don't even have a really good reason. If you ask us and you press us on it, I don't know. But experience has taught me that there is no denying depression. You can't ignore it. It doesn't go away. You can't guilt it, huh? You shouldn't be feeling that way. You can't throw Bible verses at it. It doesn't fix it. It doesn't make it go away. You can't just cheer it up, huh? Dun, 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 dun. You know? Come on. It's okay. It's the sun shining. You can't cheer it up, and you can't just get over it, right? Come on, get over it. You know, we guys I always used to laugh. You know, you know, we were camp counselors a number of times over the years, and uh, you know, guys trying to counsel girls, you know, or, or people that are struggling, we're just we're not equipped for that, so we just say walk it off, you know, <laughs> whatever it is you're going through, just walk it off, it'll be fine. But you can't just get over it. For me, any hope of moving forward when I'm struggling, it always starts with acknowledging it. I'm sad, you know, I'm upset. I'm not myself. I need help. So it starts with acknowledging it. You can't ignore it and you can't deny it. So let's see how God responded to Elijah while he was struggling in the valley. Because the temptation for Christians is to try to sanitize this subject. Or to just throw Bible verses at people. Or when we're uncomfortable with somebody's hurt and struggle, we just want to try to just try to cover it over and not really have to address it as it is. So let's see how God responds. Number one, even in times of depression, God wants to sustain us. 1 Kings 19, 5-7 says, But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some baked, bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. You know, God didn't, didn't put a scroll next to his head with some Bible verses on it, did he? He didn't slap him on the shoulder and say, Hey, what are you doing? What does he do? An angel touches him and says, Get up and eat. There's food. To provide for his needs. So he, he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him. This is after he's met his physical needs. And said, get it and eat some more. Or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So God does two important things at this point. First, he meets Elijah where he is at. He goes right where Elijah's at and he meets his needs. He meets his physical needs. And then secondly, he implies that he still has work for Elijah to do. He says, get up and eat some more. You know, feed yourself, fill your belly, get the energy you need, or the journey will be too hard for you, will be too long for you. When we're struggling, what we need is somebody to come and meet us where we're at, don't we? We need somebody to come right where we are, meet us where we're at, and just be with us. No chiding, no scolding. Just companionship. 
When we're ready, you may not be ready. You might need a minute alone. But eventually you're going to need companionship. Somebody to come where you are. This communicates hope to us. This person has not given up on me. Maybe God has not given up on me. So your first action step today is to rest. Take a step back. You know, God wants to sustain us. And so when you're struggling, when you're hurting, rather than denying it, trying to just get over it, you might need to take a step back, create some space, and rest. Find that breathing room you need, and when you, when, when you can, and when you're ready, invite those trusted people in to be with you. Because God wants to sustain us. At some point, after we've been ministered to, we're going to need someone to talk to us. We're going to need input from outside ourselves, right? Because you know what happens to me is when I isolate myself and I don't want to talk about it, I don't want to think about it, what happens is I start recycling the same old thoughts. David, you're a mess. David, you're a failure. David, it was your fault the way it turned out. And I want to draw a string from that failure to myself. It's my fault. It's my fault. And I start recycling those same old thoughts. And so at some point when you've rested, when you've had that space that you need, you're going to need some outside input. You're going to need somebody to speak to you where you're at. But not until you're, not until you're certain of their care for you. We're going to need to be fully assured of their love and commitment to us personally before we'll be able to listen. In other words, when we are assured then we can receive. When you and I are assured that somebody really cares for us, that they're looking out for us, then we're ready to receive. And that's what God does for our lives. And the first thing he does, he just sustains him. He feeds him. He cares for him. He lets him rest and recuperate. But then comes the time where he was going to speak to Elijah in the way that only a caregiver can. When somebody has given you care, when they've met your needs, when they've come down where you are, and they've put in the time, then your ears are open, and only then. Number two, God wants to speak to us. So look at these verses, 1 Kings 19, 9-13. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, and these are valid points, I have zealously served the Lord Almighty. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars. They've killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me. See what he's saying? It's all been for nothing. I've labored all these years. I've endured persecution, and it's all been for nothing. He feels alone and discouraged. He wants to give up. But the Lord continues. And again, he doesn't immediately challenge Elijah. Watch what he does. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak. And went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And so you see what God's done here. 
he allows Elijah a very rare opportunity. The kind of opportunity that could be fatal if you don't follow instructions in the presence of Almighty God. So God doesn't chide him. God doesn't scold him. God doesn't get on his case. He feeds him. He sustains him. And and in preparation to actually speak to him, he lets him be in his presence. And it's a powerful experience that fills Elijah's soul. And maybe this is the message that God has for you today. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're down and you need to make that space so you can get in God's presence. Be with that trusted friend. Because what you and I need is we need to hear from God. I mean, I, I, I like you. And, and, and maybe you can speak to me. Maybe you can encourage me. Maybe you can give me some advice. But what I really need is I need to hear from God. And maybe it's through you, but I need to hear from God. And the voice of God said in this powerful moment, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then he asks a clarifying. So God does something unique for Elijah to renew his courage and give him a new, a new sense of purpose. He allows Elijah to be in his presence. And then he asks a clarifying question that is helpful when the time is right for those of us who struggle with depression. The question is, what are you doing here? In other words, God is saying, you don't have to be here. You know, this place where you're at, this dark place, you don't have You don't have to stay here. What are you doing here? In your darkest hour, Elijah, I came to you. I met your needs. I revealed myself to you. And now is the time to respond. He's saying, Elijah, are you going to stay here? Or are you ready to begin taking steps forward? And again, this is tender ground. But that's maybe what God's saying to you and to me today is, How long are you going to stay here? You don't have to be here. This dark place, I'm willing, I'm ready to lead you out of it, step by step. Not necessarily overnight, because it never, I mean, the valley, you don't know when you go into it how long it's going to be. You don't know how deep it's going to be. But we do know from this story that God wants to lead us through it. So the action step number two, you know, first of all, we need to rest. Second of all, we need to listen. Because a lot of times in our hardest moments, God's trying to speak to us. He wants to communicate with us. And not not in a top-down way, not in a, I'm going to slap you upside the head and and set you straight kind of way. But look at how he's done with Elijah. Tender, gentle, patient. So number two, we need to listen. So are you at a place today where you can listen? If you're not, what might help you get to that point? And I, and I would encourage you to pray for that. God, help me get to a place where I'm ready finally to listen so that you can begin to lead me forward. And then number three, in depression, God wants to send us. He wants to sustain us, to speak to us, and then to send us. First Kings 19, 15 through 18, this is my favorite part of the story. Because you think God's about to say, all right, man, get up, get back to work. Time to get back on the assembly line. We've got a a production date to meet. It's time to get back to work, Elijah. But look at what he says. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And, this is the key part, anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Meholah, 
to replace you as my prophet. So look what God does there. He doesn't say, get back to work. You work for me. I'll tell you when it's over. He says, go find this guy, Elisha. He's going to be a man that's full of the Spirit. He's going to do great things in my name. And I want you to find him. And I want you to train up your replacement. He's letting him know that the finish line is in view. His last responsibility is going to be to train up his successor. So look at how God's gentle, tender kindness, but also saying, hey, you want to give up, but I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not done with you. I haven't given up on you. I still have something important for you to do. But it's not going to be the labor that you've been doing. It's going to be the joy of training up your replacement. Anyone who escapes Hazael will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will reserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. So there's another encouraging message there in verse 18. He said, you think you're alone, Elijah? You think your ministry's been a failure? There's 7,000 Israelites who have not bowed their knee to Baal. And he's not the only prophet, obviously, because there's another prophet for him to invest in. So God still had meaningful work for Elijah to do, and by announcing the training of a successor, he showed Elijah that there was a finish line. God had ordained for Elijah to carry the torch for many years. He was to boldly proclaim the word of the Lord at great personal risk. When his exhaustion threatened to overwhelm him, God reminded Elijah that though his role in the work would be mercifully limited, the impact that God could make through his obedience was not. I mean, just through his obedience, the impact that God could have would be unlimited. Elijah only needed to faithfully finish the this is a good reminder for me when I'm tempted to measure my success in life like you are by what I can accomplish, right? And when I think about what I've accomplished, it seems like a really small amount, doesn't it? My life hasn't really mattered all that much. That's the way we tend to think about it. But God measures success differently. He doesn't want to just bless one generation. He wants to bless generations. So think of what God can do with your faithfulness and my faithfulness, if we'll allow him to bring us out of those dark places so that we can pass along the faith that he's given us to our, to our friends, to our family, and pass the torch. Think of what God can do with that. And that's what he's saying to Elijah. So action step three is to respond. You know, we need to rest. We need that time to get away and to recuperate. But then it's time to listen and say, God, what are you trying to say to me in this situation? And then eventually we need to respond. We need to decide that we actually want to move forward. And this may be a process. Sometimes it's a process for me. I kind of get stuck where I'm at. And I get real stubborn, you know, kind of like that three-year-old, you know, that doesn't want to do their chores. Or that 12-year-old, you know, depending on which. But I get stubborn, and I don't want to move forward. And it's like, I don't want to, God. And he's saying, but I have other things. I don't want to. And he said, okay, I'll give you some time to rest. But it's going to be time to listen and respond. So the bottom line today is that even in depression, when you and I feel at our lowest moments and we feel like we're not making a difference and we want to throw in the towel, God can bring purpose. You know, depression, it can be a time for us to rest. It can be a time for us to be ministered to, and that's valid. But it can also be a time for us to clarify what is important and decide to do what's next. Decide what to do next, you know? It can be an opportunity 
When we're low, it's saying, you know what? Something's not right in my heart, God. My temperature gauge is off. I need to take some time. I need to hear from you, and I need to make, maybe make some adjustments. Maybe you have something different in mind for me. So these low moments can be an opportunity for God to speak to us. So here's how the story of Elijah concludes. After conscientiously training his successor, God kept his promise in an outstanding way, experienced by only one, person, one other person in the Bible, a guy named Enoch in the book of Genesis. As they were walking along and talking, 2 Kings 2.11, as they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them, and Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. So think of where Elijah's story could have ended. Right there by the broken chair. Just let me die. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do one more thing. I don't want to take one more step. And God could have granted his wish. But he didn't. He cared for him. And he cared for him through the valleys. To this point where now he's taken the time to train his successor. And then he's caught up to heaven in a miraculous when he has finished the course, and it didn't have to end that way. But it was God's tender care leading him through this process that you and I need to go through as well. So here's God's message for you today when you're struggling with depression. And in these next few moments, as, as the band comes up and begins to play, I'm going to give you some time to think about this. Some time to pray before the Lord, because this is where he wants to take you, and, and I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you're in the first phase where you just need to rest. Something has caught you off guard. You are reeling. You don't know what to do with it. I've been there. You've been there. Maybe you're there today. And you need to rest. You need to take some time. Or maybe you're at the place where you've been assured of God's love. Somebody has come where you are. They've listened. They've cared. You're assured of God's love. And now you're ready to receive and to listen and to hear or maybe you're all the way to the third step where it's time to make a decision that I've been here long enough. I don't have to be here. I'm assured of God's love. I've heard from him. He has made it. He showed me the next step. And now it's time to decide whether you're ready to take the next step. So in these next few moments as, we, as the instrumental plays, I'm going to give you a few moments to think about where you're at in this process. Are you in the rest Phase. Is it time to listen, or are you at that place where it's time to respond? After a few moments of you taking that time with the Lord, we're going to close with a song.